We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, game one of the Red Autry era officially in the books as we welcome you on into another episode of Red is the New Orange. And now Red is officially the New Orange because Adrian Autry last night grabbed his first win of his Syracuse tenure as the Orange took down New Hampshire in the 2023-2024 season opener. What's going on, everybody? Glad to have you on board. As always, alongside Ian Unsworth, I'm Johnny Gadamowitz. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter. We're at F68 underscore Qs, part of the Field of 68 Media Network. Make sure you give their channel a follow as well. All sorts of daily content across the college basketball realm. But Ian, as far as Syracuse is concerned, not a perfect win, but a win all the same as the Orange start the season 1-0, take down New Hampshire. I was boots on the ground in the Dome last night for a game that was really a long time coming, I think, for a lot of Orange fans. And you figure, okay, Monday night, non-conference opponent, not necessarily the most hype in the world. There was some buzz in the building, and, and thankfully Syracuse lived up to that buzz, at least as far as night one was concerned. When you look back at the end of the year, all you're going to see is 1-0. You're going to see the final score. Syracuse won by 11. It's a non-conference game. That's what should happen. No one's going to care about what happened inside that 40-minute sandwich and the highs and the lows and everything in between. It's just a win. And we can all acknowledge there are more kinks to work out. We can all acknowledge it was not a perfect game by any stretch. But it's just getting over that hump. That's all that Red Autry needed to do in game one. Get that ceremonial basketball with all his team's names signed on it. John Wild Hack hands it to him post game. Everyone gets a water shower. Just build some positive momentum. That's all you needed. Well, some locker room celebrations regardless. We will do our best now to dissect those 40 minutes, which again, as you just so eloquently put in, End of the year, probably not going to matter a ton when you look back on night number one. But as far as night number one was concerned, you mentioned it, not perfect. Um, but I think signs of growth and, and some signs that you can sort of build off of. And one of those signs, at least for me, watching that game was just seeing how much this team really can spread the wealth offensively. Yes, Judah Mintz is going to be the headliner. Yes, J.J. Starling comes over from Notre Dame with, with plenty of pedigree and, and pl plenty of capability as far as scoring is concerned. But at the end of the day, this team has options. 
And that was really on full display last night, right? The news comes down in the afternoon that Benny Williams is a no-go. Malik Brown is all good to go. And you start to wonder, okay, how is this going to affect things? We put out on our Twitter, hey, keep an eye out for our boy, Justin Taylor, who we've been talking plenty of preseason. But you look up and down as far as the numbers are concerned last night, and even just beyond the numbers, just watching the game from a field standpoint, a lot of guys looked good. A lot of guys felt comfortable. I mean, you had five guys in double figures, um, and one of them, someone who really impressed me, who I'll own in, uh, who I'll hone in on here for a sec, uh, Quidier Copeland. And you know, we were having some preseason conversation, Ian, about oh boy. What's going to happen if Quidier Copeland, who is a guard, is going to have to play some bully ball down low? Saw a little bit of it last night. Wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, uh, but that's besides the point. From an offensive standpoint, uh, Copeland coming in off the bench and, and providing ample minutes. You know, I made that Saimir Torrance comparison last time out. I think he has the potential to to sort of blow beyond that role in a sense, right? We didn't necessarily see Saimir come in and, and score double figures on a consistent basis. That's not to say I think Quadir will, but knowing he has that in his back pocket, not to mention he got after it on the glass too, for a guard that he is, double-digit rebounds, you take that and you run with it, was really impressed with the play in number 24 last night. The Saimir Torrance had double digits for the Binghamton Bearcats in their loss to Northwestern, <laughs> and he was rather efficient from the field. So let's put that out there. But Quadir is much different build wise I think that's what really helps he looked so comfortable getting to the rack and then finishing having the spatial awareness around the rim that you don't have as a freshman last year when he got the ball he'd go to the rack he'd lose it or he'd try to throw a fancy pass there's more confidence this year even on those layups he missed he stuck with them he did what I call the Andre Drummond a couple of times where you miss your own attempt get the rebound Put it back up and in. That's why Andre Drummond averaged a double-double from a couple of years on the Pistons. And Quidier Copeland did the same thing last night. Double-double. Eh, double. Drummond was averaging practically 20 and 20 at one point. Yeah, because if you're missing your own shot, yes. getting the re you, get, you get my point. Yes. But Quidier looked so comfortable around the basket. There, He wasn't rushed. There was no, oh, this guy, this big guy's in my face. And also, New Hampshire's tallest player out there was 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, that certainly helps. But Quidier was aggressive, and he got to the hole, especially because this team had a bad three-point shooting night. That's huge. This had the makings of a game, too. I mean, you watch those first couple minutes. It could have been one that, that really was over before it even got started. Yeah. Um, New Hampshire hung around. And, you know, the tail end to that first half, they they really put the orange defense in a tough spot. And even the second half, to their credit, um, they, they didn't go down without a fight. And, and I think a big reason why for that was Syracuse kind of struggled a little bit on the interior. Um, you know, we mentioned Copeland getting after it on the glass. But but outside of that, wasn't wasn't really blown away by the play of Naheem McLeod. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, P Peter Carey came in off the bench and, and had a dunk on an alley-oop that got the crowd excited. But but outside of that, you know, I, I, I think the bigs left a lot to be desired last night. Um, and, and that was evident in the rebounding battle, I guess. You're plus six on the glass, not the end of the world. But still, you figure, OK, going up against a team in New Hampshire, right? Not non-conference, not an ACC squad, a, a team that you really should kind of have your way with particularly when it comes to that physicality battle, right? Just from a pure 
recruiting standpoint, you'd imagine that your guys are are able to get after it on the boards a little more than the quality of what New Hampshire is going to bring to the table. Um, but but that that gave me that left me with a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. Ian, I don't know if you feel the same. And that look at some point, you know, we all know when you get to conference play, it's a battle, right? It's a dog fight when you get into the dog days of the regular season, January, February. Yes, teams that make shots are going to win ball games, but also teams that win the rebounding battle are going to win ball games too. And I, I worry a little bit, particularly if this Benny Williams thing, which we've said before, is anything larger than what it's been made out to be, where that leaves this team when it comes to getting dirty down low. Two reasons Syracuse didn't rebound last night. Matchups. One, New Hampshire's biggest player is 6'6". Naheem McLeod can't stick with him. Clarence Daniels got his own, rightly so. We said it in our Friday podcast. He had 21 points. He was 8 of 17 from the field, but as a smaller school star, you have to take a lot of shots. And he got his own. points in only 21 minutes, too. Yeah. He, he got his own. McLeod couldn't stick with him. And that's going to be an issue at times. McLeod played two minutes in the second half and then sat for the last 18. Right. It's not great when your advantage of size and strength doesn't overpower the smaller school advantage of speed and quickness. So you don't have the height. You don't have the seven foot four behemoth. That's one reason. Second reason, the switch to zone. Adrian Autry said post game, thank God for the two three zone. Did the zone win this game? Maybe, maybe not, because there were times when it gave up just as many shots as the open as the man to man. But New Hampshire got tired at the end, started missing, clanked some threes, and the air popped out of their balloon. I don't think the zone won them this game. Let's let's slow down there. But as we've seen over the past couple of years in the zone, it's much harder to rebound. You're not assigned a person. You're just assigned a space. And when that ball isn't going your space, well, it's not your responsibility to get it. So you have one orange jersey, white jersey, trying to handle three navy jerseys. And when the ball's on the ground, it doesn't matter if you're 6'9 or 6'2. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And for as much, you know, backcourt depth that we talk about on this team, I think that frontcourt depth really is sort of lacking. Um, and obviously Naheem McLeod playing only 10 minutes is not a formula that at least I think is sustainable. Um, you know, as I just alluded to, at some point, you're going to need more out of the bigs. But on a night like last night, as you mentioned, Ian, um, there are certainly reasons why the numbers are what they are. And, and SU found a way to mitigate that nonetheless. We'll switch gears a little bit here and, and now focus on that backcourt that I just alluded to. Um, because for all the depth that they have and for all the different names and all the different skill sets that they bring to the table, one of those skill sets that, that was really kind of lacking last night was the three-point shot. Um, Justin Taylor, the only player for the Orange last night that made multiple trifectas. And I think that's a problem. Um, you know, to a certain extent, this team's two best players in, in Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling are both kind of those slasher type guards, right? And we saw that on full they're yeah. non-shooters. Non-shooters. And we saw it on full display last night, right? There's something to be said for the ferocity with which Judah can get to the rim and draw contact and get to the line. And same can be said for JJ, maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent. But at the end of the day, we've seen it in past years, Ian. You've got to be able to win games that are shootouts. Right. Sometimes if that's the kind of game that, that's going to unfold when you're going up against the Colgates of the world or the ACC teams of the world that are going to let it fly like Miami last year or any squad on any particular year, take your pick. You've got to be able to NC run with that. State. Right. And I worry about the ability for this team to to run with those teams. I mean, purely from an analytics standpoint, right? It's it's not hard math. Three points is more than two, right? So when it comes to a contest where Syracuse is maybe not going to need to rely on that three ball because that's not their identity, um, but at least kind of have it in their back pocket as an option to shoot over defenders when the interior game isn't working, when you don't have much going in the mid-range. To be able to set screens for shooters on the outside and let it fly and just develop that confidence. And maybe we'll see it as the year goes on, right? After all, night night number one, you're not going to press the panic button. Uh, but definitely something that I think at least needs addressing moving forward. When the offense started to grind to a halt, you saw guys taking threes. It wasn't the issue of Syracuse didn't take enough three-point shots. They took 21, but they only made five. In prior years, we'd be saying Buddy Beheim and Cole Swider should have taken at least 20 themselves combined. Why, why isn't Elijah Hughes getting off 13 threes? That's what Syracuse needs to win. But for this team, that's not the case. The three-pointers came when legs got tired, when they hit the wall, when the offensive sets kind of disappeared. And that's the problem. The three-pointers were not in rhythm most of them at least, and they weren't coming from your best guys. I mean, Chris Bell, one for five, that's not good. He hit one early on and disappeared, as he tended to do last year. Mm, not great. 
Only uh, one start, for Kyle Cuff as well. Yeah, one, Cuff hit three. one right. in just kind of a flash in the pan. Yeah. And Star- Starling and Mintz both took some bad ones. Yeah. Out of system, no real setup. Mintz dribbles to the right wing and says, ah, you know what? Nothing. Nothing's really happening. I'm going to take a three. And a lot of those looks drew some moans and groans from the SU crowd on hand as well. It, it was evident at a certain point that that some of those looks were ugly ones. And any night where you go five for 21 from three-point range, in, in today's day and age of college basketball, I know it's not the NBA where everyone and their mother can shoot. But at the end of the day, you still want to see those percentages a, a little bit higher up. All Ju- it's all the Judah's hero ball happened a little bit in the second half right and it's going to happen throughout this season that's perfectly fine it can't be three pointers though it has to be attacking the basket as you mentioned it has to be setting up his teammates after an aggressive dribble drive it can't be i've got the ball in my hands so i'm going to do whatever i want johnny you kind of gave me your good bad and ugly from game one so i'll do the same So starting off with Justin Taylor, how about Justin Taylor? Because for most of the first half, after we tweeted about him at field six F 68 underscore Qs, that's where you can find all of our podcast content and our well thought out. Well, uh, I mean the, the vision from Johnny and I right now is we're, we're pretty tapped in because we tweeted about Justin Taylor playing a bigger role with no Benny and with an offense that we didn't know what we were going to get. And in the second half, when New Hampshire came back, cut it to seven, cut it to six, who was the guy that went on an 8-0 run? Who picked up a ball through a beautiful bounce pass that led to a fast break dunk? It was Justin Taylor. And last year, besides that Bryant game, you would have never thought that this dude would do more besides shoot free throws and maybe take some threes. But he showed a better bag. He had six rebounds, second most on the team. There were assists in there, locks and steals. It was a complete Justin Taylor game. No, he gave you a little bit of everything. And now I think you'd maybe have some Syracuse fans clamoring for him to take more than nine shots. He made five of his nine field goals on the night. It was an efficient night, took some high quality looks and made the most of them. Two of those five from beyond the arc. And yeah, we've been singing his praises all preseason and for good reason. Uh, A couple of iffy turnovers um, did did finish the night with four, which was tied for the team high. Um, But but those are just growing pains that, that, you know, he'll continue to trim down. And I think for me, and the big thing with Taylor is the consistency, right? Because as you mentioned, we saw those flashes last year, right? You mentioned the Bryant game. I think that's the one that comes to mind for a lot of Syracuse fans. Now it's about, okay, how do you build? Right. How do you continue to piece strong performances together, even in a world perhaps where, let's say, Wednesday coming up against Kenesha's game two, Benny Williams, good to go. How does Taylor still continue to carve out his role? Right. That is beyond just a spot up shooter. Right. So I think for him, that's the big question. What is where does he fit into the larger puzzle moving forward? And can he sort of maintain that role and maintain that success? Right now, it might come at the expense of Chris Bell. But at least given the numbers in game one, given the fact that Taylor is more apt to put the ball on the floor, that's perfectly fine because you need secondary creators behind Mintz and Starling to make the offense really flow. 
Totally. And the offense flowed in the first 10 minutes, partially because of defense, partially because New Hampshire was sloppy with the ball, and partially because Syracuse really had it in its mind to play fast and move the ball. And the cool thing, coming out of a break, the ESPN broadcast showed Autry's pregame speech like ESPN has gotten into the habit of with all these football coaches. There was nothing inflammatory in there, but there was a whiteboard behind Red Autry with a bunch of defensive keys and then about six or seven different half-court diagrams with plays and sets. Those were executed extremely well in the first half to the point at which about halfway through Syracuse was on pace to score 120 and then it all fell apart. I think guys hit a wall at the end of the first half. What do you, do you did you see that Johnny being yeah there? A, a, a little bit um it, it certainly looked that way and look sometimes all it takes is for a couple of shots not to fall and then for whatever reason you can't take the lid off the basket um I, I also credit the New Hampshire defense a little bit too yeah because I think they were shell-shocked coming out to start that contest right when Syracuse puts up what was it I think they hit, hit the 25 mark by like five minutes in something like I that think, so uh, what I have written down which and I know it's accurate is that Clarence Daniels was the only New Hampshire player to score until the nine minute mark of the first half. Yeah. They had they, six turnovers in seven minutes and nine points until like the seven minute mark of the first half. They were stuck on six for a really long time. I don't have the exact numbers for you, but I remember looking over at the scoreboard and New Hampshire was on six for what felt like north of three or four minutes of gameplay. Oh, uh, it was but, much more than that. Yeah, but that's besides the point. The, uh, the larger point I'm trying to make here is that I think this New Hampshire defense coming out of the gate didn't really know what they were getting themselves into, right? Syracuse was running these sets. They were having success. They were getting different guys, the ball. New Hampshire had to cover so many different options, right? It wasn't like they could just key in on one guy like Syracuse tried to do from a Daniels standpoint. Uh, but but after that, those first 10 minutes, they, they just appeared to be a step quicker, um, a, a bit more sharper, um, you know, get, getting in the passing lanes, doing their best to try to disrupt the flow that Syracuse had developed. And, and to their credit, they did. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was Syracuse's offense stalling out. And, and as you mentioned, Ian, guys kind of just hitting a wall while also, you know, New Hampshire was doing their best to, to, to make those adjustments and make those changes on the fly mid game. And, you know, for better or worse, it worked, obviously not enough for them to claw them there all the way back into the game, but at least to, to slow down the Syracuse momentum a little bit and keep it a game moving into the second half. When the philosophy is push, 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 tempo, 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 that's what guys revert to. Not necessarily, we're tired, let's slow down and try to run something offensively. Right. New Hampshire started dropping guys off the offensive boards. They started having three, four back in transition so that Syracuse couldn't push ahead off a miss, couldn't get that two-on-one dunk that they got Correct. a couple times in the first half. And so I remember one play pretty vividly. Quidier Copeland gets a rebound, drives down the floor. It's one on three, and he throws it away. Mintz was on the wing, and Quidier chucks it into the second row of the right. dome stands. That's the kind of thing that shows you Syracuse is a little tired. They're mentally a little afraid, and they're not used to playing this kind of pace of basketball. 
that was the bad per se the ugly if we want to go there it's just that every once in a while you saw a flash of last year would you agree a flash of elaborate on that how so just a flash of lackadaisical defense they went with like a one three one trap or something like that for one possession new hampshire dribbled through it like a rat going through a maze no problem and you know you see the turnovers and then the second half offense turns into let's stand around and look at judah right and i don't blame that on red autry i don't think that's his fault no he was very proactive in coaching and making adjustments and changes and yanking your big guy off the floor he was on he was trying to be as on the ball as possible but these players went through a full season especially at the end which turned into a bad losing season where it's easy to develop bad habits and when things start sliding sometimes you revert to those yeah especially when you look at the roster makeup of this team and there are so many returners still (laughs) young too still young and so many returners from last year who had that sort of descent defensive mindset really instilled in their brains um what what i question is you know okay, if they're going to be this fast-paced, high-flying type team that we saw in the first half that that ultimately did run out of gas a little bit towards the end of the first half and even in the second half as well, Ian, when you mentioned it was a bit more stagnant, how does that hold up, right? Like that, there's there's got to be a fine line where over the course of the entirety of the regular season, you you can't burn out like that. Night in, I just night thought out, of the, right? the Cuse women's basketball team under Von Reed that tried yeah. to press, press, press with like six players. And, and they, how did they, that got, they lost every single ACC game in the fourth quarter. Right. So, so some of it's stamina, some of it is about just, you know, getting into the thick of things and, and getting used to playing a 40 competitive minutes of basketball twice a week, yeah. right? Which this team has not had to do. They haven't, not only have they not had to do it yet, they haven't had to do it yet together right with this team this is a new team we mentioned those returners but obviously it's very different philosophically than what we've seen so time will tell um and we're excited to monitor it right that that's why we're here doing what we do breaking it down um but but it will be very interesting particularly and, and you know i know we spent some time talking about this in our preseason podcast Ian, too they're they're going to get tested right away when you go down to Maui and you get some of these cream of the crop type programs. And I think, you know, those will be good indicators to us as to, okay, what can we expect in January? What can we expect in February? Can this team, do they have what it takes to play a full 40 and, and not run out of gas? And that's I mean, an for, that we're not going to know until we see. You've got a, you've got an NCAA tournament team in a week. Mm-hmm. Bogate is the best mid-major team, I think, in the Northeast right now. And it's a revenge game at that from a Syracuse standpoint, right? You think about Matt Langle's crew coming in, taking care of business each of the last two years. Yeah, they play fast. They shoot the lights out. As far as what's next, though, game before Colgate, that would be Canisius. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, coming up this week, Wednesday night, another home contest for the Cuse. 
Kenesha's squad that that brings back a lot from a year ago, that's maybe the positive for them. The negative is that that squad from a year ago uh, wasn't particularly very good. Sub 500, bounced in the first round of the MAC tournament, um, lost to, I believe it was Mount St. Mary's in overtime last year. In round yeah, they played Mount St. Mary's close. Right. But Ian, as we were sort of discussing uh, before we hopped on the air here, a little comparable to New Hampshire um, in that maybe not quite a one trick pony, but, but if you key in on one guy and, and kind of shut him down, then that's going to make things difficult for the golden Griffins. Yeah. Tosh Stavesky is there, dude. And the difference between he and Clarence Daniels is while Daniels is a Greek God who has 0% body fat. Yeah. He is a, yeah, he's a, he's a six foot point guard who came off the bench last year. He, I mean, he had 21 games in double figures. The guy can fill it up. But it's much easier to stop a six-foot point guard than it is a six-six small ball center who's a total mismatch. Canisius is also small. All these mid-major teams, Syracuse will play. Maybe besides Colgate, will be pretty small. So that's something Coach Autry and the crew will have to deal with. But again, this is a a case of Syracuse can't beat itself. If Syracuse plays a full forty minutes of basketball. This shouldn't be a problem. And honestly, maybe they win by a wider margin than 11. And it does bear mentioning as well that for the Golden Griffins, this will be tomorrow night, Wednesday night, their season opener, right? That they have not played a game yet outside of exhibitions. Um, So season opener going to the dome, you know, obviously the nerve is going to be there for those guys. Um, You would think, again, you would think advantage Syracuse, but time will tell. That's coming up Wednesday night, tomorrow night in the 315 as Adrian Autry and company try to make it 2 and 0 to start the 2023-2024 campaign. That'll just about do it for this edition of Red is the New Orange, the Orange 1 and 0 with Ian Unsworth. I'm Johnny Gadamowitz. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at F68 underscore Cuse. Also go give a follow to at the field of 68. They've got daily college hoops content, whether it's your team specific. Gotta watch after or- dark. After dark, watch after posted dark. every night. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. So we highly recommend you go give their channel a look as well. But with Ian, I'm Johnny saying so long. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy the game Wednesday night.